Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Now, hey, it's good to have you guys here. Uh, I have been gone for a little while. Jonah's done a fantastic job taking us through Colossians and really centering us on the person of Jesus. And what we're going to be doing in the, the coming, really, year is continuing what Jonah focused on, which is to really focus on Jesus. And we're going to do that by going to the Gospel of Mark. And we've entitled this series, The Unexpected King. Because in the Gospel of Mark, the tension in this book is that no one seems to really understand who Jesus is. And he's constantly saying to everybody, don't tell people who I am because it's probably wrong. He doesn't want the word to spread. Instead, we're going to find it's only when we get to the cross. It's only when you see Jesus through the lens of the cross can you finally go out into the world and represent him and share the message of who Jesus is. Mark's going to show us that the kingdom of God and the king who is Jesus is an unexpected king. So if you want to grab a Bible this morning, start there, and we're going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark. And I encourage you, over the coming weeks, would you just get into God's Word? If you don't have a reading plan, I just gave you one. It's called the Gospel of Mark. And you can just start reading through it, and and each day, just discovering. And we're going to have a prayer as we go through this. And the prayer is, is, Jesus, reveal to me who you are through this book. And then second, reveal to me what it means to be your disciple through this book. And that's all we're going to pray, those two things. Now, before we get there, I want to have a bit of a family moment. If you're committed to Bergen Park Church, if you call this your home, if you're a member, a tender, I'm talking to you. We have a great opportunity as a church to offer to this community, honestly, to offer them to them Jesus, but one of our best things is you. It's the community of people who gather here on Sunday morning. I mean, the messages, hopefully they're okay. The music is fantastic. Lauren and our children and our youth, they do a fantastic job. But really what we have to offer to this community is the people of God, loving and following Jesus together. But here's the challenge. There's not a lot of room. Usually at 9.30, there's not a ton of room. And we have a second service, which is at 11. And there's a ton of room. And we're trying to figure those two things out. We're trying to wrestle with our service times, with what we offer at the different services. And so I'm inviting you into that discussion with us. We're leading, but we want to hear from you. And then also, we want to ask you, are you in? And when I say, are you in, are you in? in the mission of being God's people, being that Jesus-centered people in this community and inviting others to have space with us, to love them, to care for them so that this community might know that God is real and Jesus is that path towards God. And so can I just challenge you with that? Would you meet me there? And would you pray about how we could do this better, whether it's moving the service times or what we offer or even when you come to church? Maybe that's a part of it. So just kind of laying that out there, would you pray with us as we kind of, as elders and staff, make that decision? Now, second, there's another new thing that's happening today. Uh, do you guys, if you can put that slide up, do you have the Bible app? 
the U version, they call it the Bible app, but the U version Bible app. If you do, uh, would you take out your phone and would you open it? And if you don't, download it. And if you're not into that, it's okay. You're not missing out too much, okay? So if you would go there and open the YouVersion Bible app. Today, for the first time, Bergen Park Church is live through the YouVersion Bible app. And what that's gonna do is connect you to the passage that we're in and any resources that I talk about on Sunday morning. And eventually, as well as the small group discussion questions or discussion questions that'll help you to get into the text. Does that make sense? Now, the way you find it, because you're like opening, going, this is confusing. I, I don't see it. All right. At the bottom right-hand side, so you have it open, bottom right-hand side says more. Do you see that? If you don't, a lot of them are looking at me, so I know you're not, you're not there, that's okay. It says more, and then you click events, and you'll see Bergen Park Church Live, all right? Ah, someone said, ah, hopefully that's good. Uh, this is just the first step in that, and we're gonna be providing resources through that outlet, and it's gonna be available. You do need to save it, uh, if you don't save it, then it disappears eventually. Because one of the resources I wanna share with you, if you go to the next slide, is in the YouVersion Bible app. You can find it there. You also can go directly to it. It's called the Bible Project. The Bible Project is a group based out of, I think, Seattle, Washington area. And they, it's where? Who's talking to me? Oh, hi, <laughs> Oregon. It's, it's based in Oregon. Thanks, we got a friend from, that knows. And the Bible Project does a great job. I'm dyslexic, some of you know this, which means I need to know the big picture. I don't understand details until I see the big picture. And the Bible Project helps me to understand the big picture. And there is a video, it's like nine minutes, okay? You've got nine minutes. And it summarizes the Gospel of Mark. And I'm gonna be using that summary to walk us through because it's such a good job. And it kind of summarizes the gospel or mark around three questions. Who is Jesus? And I know you can't see that up there, it's kind of small. Uh, I don't, can't see the middle one. Uh, who is Jesus? And then the second one's like, what kind of Messiah is Jesus or something? Anyways, I can't see it. But it's an excellent resource. And so I wanna encourage you to use that in your own study and kind of jump into that outline and get a big picture as we start to go through this, this gospel. Everybody with me? Okay, awesome. Hey, let's grab the Bible and we're gonna read verses one to 15. We're probably gonna spend about three weeks because there's so much in it. It's almost like verses one through 15 are like the book of Genesis for Mark. It lays the foundation. If you don't read the book of Genesis, the rest of the Bible kind of just doesn't make sense because everything's anchored in there. And likewise, the first 15 verses of this fast-paced picture of what everything Mark's going to unpack. So let's, let's go there. Mark chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the countryside of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. 
And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you, and would you pray for me? Let's pray. Father, I think of the song that Vivian led us through, Turn Your Eyes, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And may the things in Jesus' name of earth fade away in the light of his glory and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So this summer, I have to admit, I've been on a on vacation. I get on a movie kick, and I've been on a Christopher Nolan kick. Do you know Christopher Nolan? Okay, Christopher Nolan as a director uh, is an interesting way of presenting a story. If you know the movie Oppenheimer, I went to the movie Oppenheimer the first day it came out, should have read a little bit about it because I brought my kids and I was unprepared. There's some scenes in there, didn't know, not good parenting style, okay. But I went to Oppenheimer. Anyways, Christopher Nolan, if you've seen the movie Inception, which I'm still trying to figure out, uh, Dunkirk, uh, the Dark Knight series, Batman, Christopher Nolan is a director that throws you into action. When his movies start, he doesn't explain doesn't want to catch you out. He doesn't care for you as a viewer. He just ushers you into the scene, and then you have to kind of figure out. So in Dunkirk, you find the opening scene is this group of soldiers. You're not sure who they are, but they're walking through a town together, and there's all of these pamphlets dropping from the sky. It's very apocalyptic. And suddenly these bullets start flying, and these men start running, and then eventually they jump over this barrier, and they come to this vast open beach, and there's this 300,000 soldiers that are trying to escape, and that's how the scene begins. And it's not just how he directs visually, it's, it's the score. It's an eerie sound. He uses a lot of stringed instruments, and there's very low tones, and it always keeps you on the edge going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? And I want to suggest to you that Mark is very similar. That's how I read the Gospel of Mark. He just throws you into the action, and he doesn't explain. I mean, Matthew and Luke, they help you out. John helps you out the most. He explains everything. Mark doesn't explain a thing. He just says, yeah, and Jesus went into the wilderness, and Satan was there, and then he came out, and he went and did this. And, and he doesn't tell us about his birth. He just gives us Jesus, and the question Mark wants us to wrestle with is who, who is Jesus? 
And it starts off, look at verse one, and verse one is an anchor for the rest of this book. It's a banner. It's the only time that Mark speaks in the sense of the narrator. Now, he's organizing all this material in a specific way. He's not worried about the history, though these are historical events. And understand, he's not worried about chronology. You know, we tend to think of history as, okay, this happened, this happened. Mark is trying to show you Jesus, and he's taking events, and he's organizing them in a way that you see Jesus in the way that Mark sees Jesus. And here's Mark from the beginning. He tells us, this is what I'm going to tell you about Jesus. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. Get ready. Because the next scene is we're in the desert. We're in the wilderness. Now, last time we were in the wilderness, you might think of the book of Exodus. I don't know if that story makes sense to you, but Israel was in the wilderness, and they were led by Moses, and there was a pillar of cloud. Do you remember this? That represented God's presence by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Mark opens this scene, and we come into the wilderness, and we find this very peculiar prophet, kind of like Elijah, and he's wearing a jacket of camel hair. I don't know if that was common. I don't think so. I imagine he's kind of stuffy and hot. A leather belt. And for some reason, it's important to know that he eats locusts. I mean, I don't know. Do you just going across the ground, picking up bugs and honey? Okay. And, and he focuses, you can imagine the camera, and it's zooming in on his face. And he says to you, you think this is something? Get ready. I baptize you with water, but one who is coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then the camera shifts. And suddenly John starts to fade. Now he's going to come back a little bit, his story, into the background. And then Jesus, from this moment on, he comes in and he takes, he takes center stage. And Jesus comes in. And what's interesting is we come to this story and this part about Jesus is what John says. Now, next week, we're really going to anchor into the identity of Jesus and understand Son of God, Messiah, and all of that language. But one of the things that John says about Jesus is he is the Lord. When he says, prepare the way for the Lord, that's a quotation from the Old Testament. And it wasn't about Jesus coming. It was about God coming. And Isaiah said, there's this dude who's going to come, and before he's going to come before Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. The creator shows up on earth. And John pronounces, the creator is coming, and then you see Jesus. This is the creator? He's human. And Mark doesn't fill in the gaps. He now shows you Jesus, but what's so surprising is he's being baptized. Why? Okay, wait a minute, John. If, if you're preparing the way for someone who's more powerful than you, who's representing or is God himself, why is, is he being baptized? Now, we need to back up and talk about baptism for a second. Baptism, at least immersion, wasn't something that Jews did. Now, they washed their hands. They had a lot of cleansing rituals. And that's what baptism is trying to remind you of, is that you need to be cleansed before you meet with God. But often, the only people who'd be baptized, like under the water, come back out, it'd be the Gentiles, the non-Jews. 
And here you have John, who is an Israelite, and he's saying to all of these Jews who do not get baptized, you got to get ready. And you need to get in the same water as these dirty Gentiles. He's humbling them. And he's saying, if your heart's not ready, you're going to totally miss Jesus. Now, when you read the gospel, they totally missed Jesus because their hearts were not ready to receive Jesus as the king as he is. Now, go back. Let's jump back into this story, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. It says, in those days, so the center stage is now on Jesus. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, which is shocking. And then we realize his baptism isn't like any other baptism. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, what's, what is that? That's theological language. It's not as if he looked up and the clouds parted in one of those pretty pictures and the sun was shining and that's what it's described. No. There is a separation between earth and the heavens. Now, the heavens is the place where God dwells. And a lot of this is temple language. We can't get into all of it. But the temple is the place where God dwelled on earth, right? Where the heavens met earth. At Jesus' baptism, there's a sense in which it's saying everything that separated God from earth is being removed, and it's descending on Jesus. And the presence of God, it's no longer in the temple, right? That's where you used to go. The presence of God is where? It's in Jesus. And it's encountered through Jesus. And then the Father speaks to Jesus. And we find out who Jesus is. And this is important because remember in verse 1, you guys tracking with me? Part of Jesus' title was, this is the Son of God. Now, as good Christians, we want to interpret that as that's the second member of the Trinity. That's not what Mark's describing. That's theology that's going to come later. We have to read it as if we're listening to this for the first time. And what's happening at the baptism is Son of God's getting, bless you, interpreted. And we're understanding Jesus has a divine calling and identity that comes from God. There's something unique about him. And the Father says to Jesus, if you look in verse 11, the voice came down, you are my beloved Son, with you, I am well pleased. Huge. Mark spends no time on it. Next scene. Jesus is now ushered by the same spirit that just came down, and he's in the wilderness. Again, the wilderness is the place where the sons of God met God. You know, son of God was used for Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus is called the son of God. And as Israel spent 40 years in the desert. Do you remember that story? Let my people go. Jesus spends 40 days. Jesus is the true son of God. Where every other son of God disobeyed, Jesus obeys. He's the true representation of what it looks like to love God, to worship him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, the story of Jesus is mirroring the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And so really to understand Jesus, you've got to understand your Old Testament. And all Mark tells us is that suddenly after his baptism, he's, I guess you could say, hanging out with Satan in the wilderness. 
And he doesn't explain it. He's being tempted. And then Jesus suddenly emerges as if to say, who do you think won? What do you think happened in the Mark, Luke, right? I mean, Matthew and Luke, they tell you about it. Mark, he's just saying it happened. And suddenly Jesus emerges victoriously and he comes out of the wilderness where Israel met with God, where Jesus met with God. And in verses 14 and 15, these are the first words he says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. And here's what he said. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Respond. Repent. Prepare your hearts and believe the gospel. We ready to prepare our hearts to believe, to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, who are you? Reveal yourself through this book. And in the process, would you take away all the false expectations, all the lies that I carry into who you are? Because see, that's where Mark's gonna go. Mark's gonna paint a tension. And the tension's between you and everybody else in the story. You don't know it, but you're about to walk in this tension because you now know who Jesus is. He told you in verse one, right? This is Jesus, the Messiah, which means the anointed king, the son of God. This is God himself who's shown up in human flesh and he's ushering in the fulfillment of times, meaning all the promises of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of promises back there. God said to Abraham, through you, I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna become great and you're gonna bless the nations. Well, all of that, it's finding its fulfillment in Jesus and through Jesus. And you're gonna encounter God's promises, his peace, his justice, who he is, his love, his truth by encountering Jesus Christ. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And it's not just the beginning of the kingdom, it's the beginning of the gospel. And we're gonna wrestle with this word gospel next week. It's not a religious term. I don't know if you realize that. It's a Roman term. It's a secular term the New Testament stole for our purposes and used it. Now, next week we'll describe, so you gotta come back. I'm trying to encourage you to come back next week and we'll understand what that term means. But one of the things I wanna show you, notice how he starts, again, verse one, in the beginning, in the beginning, the gospel, right? Now, this word in the Greek, beginning, is RK. The first word Mark writes in his gospel is RK, beginning. And he's not saying the beginning of my book. I mean, that, what a boring way to start a book. This is the beginning, no doubt. He's again bringing up echoes of the Old Testament because where is the place where you read in the beginning? Genesis. And what does it say? In the beginning, God. Mark, in the beginning, Jesus. Genesis, in the beginning, God created. Mark, in the beginning, God Jesus is recreating. What Mark is ushering into is a new creation. The creation has been destroyed by sin. You need to go back and read that. Jesus is here to make it right again. And things get made right as we encounter the presence of God in the person of the Messiah, the King, Jesus Christ. That's where we find healing. We find justice. 
We find salvation. We find peace. And what Mark's going to do is he's going to, Jesus is now going to move out, right? And you're going to see what happens when the kingdom of God shows up on earth. And you're going to find that hungry people get fed. Because when the kingdom of God shows up, God cares about the hungry. And he feeds them. And when there are oppressed people that may be oppressed in their mind, oppressed demonically, when the, the, the presence of God shows up, there is compassion, there is healing and restoration. You find relationships get made right. The first eight chapters, Jesus is like superhero-esque. Seriously, go, go read the first eight chapters. No miracles happen after chapter eight, except for the resurrection in a sense. Because what it's showing you is this is who he is and he has God's sovereign authority with him. He has the presence of God. And when the presence of God shows up, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Because Jesus' message and his method, his lifestyle were one. To find out what Jesus talked about, you had to look at what Jesus did. And that's where we struggle don't we? We love to share the message, but are we bringing the kingdom evidence? Are we feeding the poor? Are we compassionate for those in our community that everyone ignores? Or we say, too crazy for me. That guy is a time waster. He's gonna eat up resources. That person is insane. They are so far from God. The kingdom of God is not just a message. It's a way of revealing God through a life of self-sacrificial love towards a community that calls us enemies. We're gonna see in the life of Jesus what it looks like to be a disciple. What does it look like to be a disciple? Well. We don't have a ton of time. Here's what I want to do real quick is I want to give you just a, a, a glancing view. I know we got like three minutes, so I'm going to, I'm going to do this really well. We're going to, we're going to give you a glancing 32,000 foot view because I want to show you just before we leave how the disciples get Jesus wrong. They get Jesus wrong. And the place we're going to go to is, is chapter eight. So can you go to chapter eight with me? Because again, throughout the first eight chapters, we're seeing the identity of Jesus. We're seeing the acts of Jesus. And then everything in Mark hinges on chapter eight because this question comes up that you should be asking as you're reading the first eight chapters, who is this? Who is Jesus? Why, is he, why do the religious leaders hate him? Why do the impoverished people and the weird people love him? Who is this guy? So chapter eight, verse 27. And so he asks his disciples, here's the question. Who do people say that I am? Great, we're finally there. Now as a reader, you know the answer, right? Mark 1, 1. And you're watching in chapter eight is everybody's getting it wrong and the religious leaders are ticked and people are confused and some people are following him. Verse 29. And if you're just reading this for the first time, you get excited in verse 29 because who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you're the Christ. Yes, Peter got it right. This is amazing. Everybody's gotten it wrong. And then we got to push the pause button. Now, if you've read the rest of the story, you know I'm setting you up. Because the question is not, he gets the words right, right? And you do too. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but what does that mean? We often say, I believe in these things. I believe in the Christian doctrines. Yeah, but what does that mean? 
Peter gets the words right, but he doesn't understand the content. And so his life is incongruent with Jesus. And so what happens? Well, what Jesus says in verse 30, notice, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? Because Peter doesn't get it right. He thinks he's got it right, but it's all rolled up in all these false expectations and hopes and dreams. It's kind of right. And so what Jesus has to do is he has to show him the lens through which you understand who he is. And notice in verse 31, what is that lens? It's the cross. You cannot understand who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him except through the cross. And at this point, understand, we're not thinking of the cross as the forgiveness of sins, which it is. That's not Mark's picture. He's saying, how does the kingdom show up? It shows up in self-sacrificing love for your enemies. It shows up in God sacrificing himself absolutely for the sins of others to reveal the kind of king and the kind of kingdom. Are you with me? And we tend to reduce these things down just to these simple ideas, and what we miss is the big picture. And what does he say? Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite term for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and after three days rise again. And all the disciples said, that's great. Absolutely not. What happens? No. Jesus, that's not who you are. How often do we say that to him? Are there aspects of God you don't like or you would wish you could rewrite or you could suppress? We're disciples. And, and look, verse 32, and, and Jesus said it plainly. It wasn't misunderstood. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Not a very, not a very good idea. But turning, and I see compassion in Jesus, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things, these things of God. You're protecting yourself, Peter. How often do we use Jesus to protect what we value the most? What is Peter protecting? His nation. He wants Jesus to be a nationalistic leader that'll ruin and destroy all the evil people messing up my country and will set things right. Now, there's a reason why he believes this. It, it comes out of the Old Testament, but it's also a part of the culture he's in. And often the culture in has false views of Jesus, even inside the church. And Peter brings into his vision of Jesus this nationalistic leader who's going to destroy his enemies and he's gonna reign on the throne and Peter's gonna be one of the top dudes in his new cabinet. Yes. And Jesus says, you will not know me unless you see me through self-sacrificial love for my enemies. And Peter doesn't get it, does he? And what you're going to find in chapter 8, 9, and 10 is those, there's going to be three conversations. Disciples don't get it. Three times he's going to say the same thing. You do not understand Jesus unless you see him through the cross. Now, how do we know that? Let me end with this verse. Let's go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. You know, all through the gospel, Jesus, every time people say, you're the Messiah, he says, shh, don't tell anyone because their perception of what that means is wrong. It's only after the cross. Someone gets it right. 
But understand, they also see him right. And it wasn't the disciples. Right? You'd think it's the guys who are with him, closest to him. It's not the religious leaders. It is the most wicked, far from God, pagan, violent, vile, oppressive individual in the book. Now, you don't read him that way. You want to hug him. He wants to kill you. He's a Roman centurion. Do you know why he's at the cross? To make sure the electric chair works. To make sure the gas chambers turn on. This is not a good guy. This is a vile, violent, immoral, oppressive. He's come into your country. He's destroyed everything, everything you love, your neighbors, all that is valuable to you. This guy represents the worst to the disciples. Why do you think, Mark, why do you think it happened that this is the guy who spoke these words? Because the kingdom of God's not gonna show up where you expect and how you expect. It shows up in the words of someone like a centurion who says, verse 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, in this way he died, what does he say? Wow, truly, this man is the son of God. Mark 1.1, Jesus is the son of God. How do I know who he is? You will only understand Jesus through the cross. And then next week, right, take up your, you're only going to know what it looks like to follow Jesus through the cross. It's self-sacrificing love. It's the presence of God showing up in unexpected ways. This is the gospel of Mark. You guys ready? I don't know if you know this. I had like four weeks to read up on this, so I'm kind of excited, okay? I've done a lot of time, so I want to get it all out in one Sunday. I can't do that. But anyways, guys, join us in this journey. There's a lot of ways. Can I confess as a pastor? I think there's a lot of ways I get Jesus wrong. There's stuff about Jesus I want to emphasize. There's stuff that's hard for me. But I don't want, I don't want a cultural Jesus or a Jason Jesus. I want the Jesus of the New Testament. And would we pray this week, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me through this book? Holy Spirit, would you show me Jesus? And then would we pray? Would you show me what it looks like to follow him? I think if we could grasp that and wrestle with it, can we wrestle? Is that okay to ask hard questions and, and struggle? I think that's important. The disciples did. And then out of that, to see something beautiful come through this church as we worship and center our hearts on him. Hey, let me pray for you. And Vivian, would you come up? We're gonna share communion together. If you didn't grab the communion elements, this is your opportunity. Those communion elements are in the back. They're also available up front. And the reason we end with communion was we don't want you to forget or set aside the gospel. And what's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is the good news about who he is and what he has done. And because of who he is and what he has done, this is who I am. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am secure in the Father that right now, no matter how bad your week was or you yelled at your wife on the way in or kids were acting crazy, you can right now, because of Jesus, say, Abba, 
Father and all you find is compassion, forgiveness, healing, restoration. That's where we are. And so would we just be honest and spend some time with these elements? Through his body and his blood, we are accepted, forgiven, redeemed. Would we just cry out, Abba? And would we share with him whatever's on your heart? Let's spend a few moments in prayer meeting with our Father. coming back and I hope it's it's because of you Father that Galatians says in the time when the time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights as sons and because we are sons because we are children because we are sons we are also heirs and God has sent the Spirit into our hearts, and it's the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So we are no longer slaves, but sons. And because we are sons, we are also heirs. Father, remind us of what you've done and remind us of who we are. May we rest in our identity in Christ. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread before his disciples. He broke it and gave thanks. And he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant that is established in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.